Sorry, old sport, I thought you knew. This is the OK Gatsby colon, is Nick Carraway gay or what? That's I figured the subtitle of the <laughs> podcast would be. Yeah, this is our exploration of mainly that. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. Uh, hello, and welcome to the OK Gatsby. I'm Kevin. I am Terrence, and we're together, two Chicago, Chicago comedians. Chicago comedians. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and we're going to be breaking down the Great Gatsby, one of our favorite novels. Love uh, it. Yeah, we're going to talk about the good, the bad, the weirdly racist, yeah. and the racistly weird. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're. I am an English major, or I got a degree in English. Yeah, and I'm a retired high school English teacher. And retired uh, after a few months. <laughs> a few, yeah, a few, a few notable months. Uh, had a good time, but uh, it was time to go. Did uh, you ever have to teach the book? I have not had to teach The Great Gatsby. I had to read it, didn't have to teach it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna get into it first. We're gonna talk a little bit about what we like about this book so much. Yeah. Well, like, right. What What is the uh, yeah, because you approached me about doing this, and I was like, of course, I love The Great Gatsby. Let's do it. So, But what made you want to – yeah, go ahead. Reading The Great Gatsby. Uh, so I I got really into F. Scott Fitzgerald in college uh, because he's he's definitely a college writer. All he does is write about being fancy and sad at Princeton. <laughs> <laughs> and so someone who was fancy and sad at a school in Chicago is like, this is my guy. <laughs> this is me. I'm like him. I am uh, also drunk. Yes, I am drunk all the time, and I say smart things about human <laughs> nature. <laughs> That's who I am. So, uh, was this your first Fitzgerald? Yeah. So, I read this in high school, like a lot of kids. Right. Um, and I liked it. Uh, I was like a lot of high school kids. I don't didn't believe symbolism actually existed. <laughs> what is that? I had the same thing, where I'm like, nah. Like, why would you even mean that? <laughs> yeah. What does a green light have to do with anything? He just picked a green light to look at. Yeah. So I think it's because it's everything you write in high school is so literal. Yeah. Uh, like history papers are like this happened because this happened. That there would be any sort of under the surface, it would feel like. Why is the author hiding this information from me? Like, if uh, if you had to imply things about a history textbook or a biology textbook, it'd be insane. So it's like every other like type of learning is literally recite facts back to me. Yeah. And this one's like try and piece together your interpretation of a bunch of words written a long time ago. Right. It's like I'm an idiot. So why isn't everybody an idiot? <laughs> yeah. It's also you have to do more work if you have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You can't you need to like project all these other layers of, of meaning on it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just like just like, oh, I'll just memorize this sheet of facts. You have to be like, oh, I have to like use some sort of imaginative thinking. <laughs> I've got to yeah, weave a tapestry of uh, symbol and metaphor. Um, okay, so you're in college and you're revisiting Fitzgerald after high school. So I had uh, a couple things happen at the same time. I my first year of college was 2012, and the Gatsby movie was coming out. That uh, the Boz Lerman, right? yeah, What's the Boz Lerman, right? yeah. yeah, with the Leo DiCaprio, yeah. And so that was like generating some like people going back, like, oh yeah, maybe this was a good book. But two, uh, I have weird stories. The first time I took acid in college. <laughs> Uh, for whatever reason, my brain told me, you want to feel like this all the time, we should read some more books, and you'll Whoa. feel like you understand more things. Whoa. Uh, it was v- not selling kids to do drugs, but one that's time a- I did drugs, and it made my life better. That's a really good, like, <laughs> acid revelation. I haven't, I haven't heard anybody bring anything back that's, like, anything 
anything that's not cliche back from acid or mushrooms. Yeah, I'm a little weirdo. I was <coughs> trying to use acid to grow more powerful. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, but then I was dating this girl at the time who was a reader, uh, and she was like, my favorite book is uh, This Side of Paradise by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I read that, and I was like, holy cow, this guy is like really good outside of just The Great Gatsby. Uh, and then I read Tender as a Night, and I was like, oh, this is like my favorite thing ever. He wrote so, like, I got really depressed and nihilistic in college, and Tender as a Night is a book about a man failing and having all the women in his life turn against him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's wonderful when you're in that mood <laughs> and it's really well written it's all about like he tried and he felt like really beautifully being like life is hard and sucks and <laughs> i know well and that's not surprising to me at all yeah so he and he wrote that when at the end of his life when he was like um like he his wife it was in a mental institution and he had failed everything else <laughs> oh god right was how how old was he was he young he show? was uh 30s when he wrote tenderest okay Night. Um, and so in general, I got really into him as this tragic figure. Uh, and then I went back to the great Gatsby and this is like a pure, like piece of like fiction in that he wrote it. Like, I'm going to write a huge book. And it really, it wasn't popular at this time. He wanted it to be huge. I don't think really? he wanted it to be huge, but he's like, I'm going to make something so fundamentally sound that like no one can point at it and go, this is bad. Yeah. Like, like everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, this is like, he really nailed every single part of like. It's like a textbook on like characters and description yeah. and insight and weaving those together. Yeah. Um So I I really started appreciating it just as like, oh, like it's not my favorite cuz it's almost too cleanly put together, uh but it really is uh, a great piece of like a guy at the top of his form saying something very specific about something he thought about a long time. Yeah, it's yeah, it's clearly well th thought out. It's clearly like well written and like planned and executed. It's it's not mess. It's clean. It's not messy. Right? Like, didn't you say something like it's like exactly what it needs to be, or what? I forget what how you phrased uh, it. It's exactly what he intended it to be. He's yeah. like, I want to write about the American dream, and this is how I want to write about it. And no word is going to be out of place. It's only a hundred eighty pages, which is yeah. like not long enough. To be technically a novel, like most publishers wow. turn it away. It's yeah. like, oh, it needs to have 30,000 more pages for us to sell this book. Yeah. Uh, but literally every part of it, he's like, all right, I have this metaphor, this metaphor, this metaphor, this metaphor. I'm going to bash them all together. And like no, at no point is like, oh, he lost control of where he's going. No, it never rambles. It's very like dense and it moves Metho not methodically, like it moves eff like effectively and quick. Like you know, it's, it starts moving and it moves. You know. Yeah. No, it's he's definitely very. This is probably one of the most precise books. Precise, ever. yes, yeah, exactly. He he planned it. Yeah, it's like point, aim, shoot, bullseye. And like a guy, and you could tell he's confident writing this book. You can really <laughs> tell that he knows it's a good book when he's writing. It. <laughs> And, like, he even thought, like, there's interviews of, like, Hemingway being, like, yeah, Fitzgerald was going around with The Great Gatsby. And everyone knew it was a great book, but he really was excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, he would, like, you could tell, like, every part of it. He's like, oh, man, I nailed that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he likes it. I like that. You could tell. He was very <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> he's waving at the crowd while yeah. he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely cocky right now. He's, like, the <laughs> guitar player in the band playing the solo and, like, nodding at the crowd right now. <laughs> You're loving this right now. You are loving this alliteration and symbolism. Yeah. 
You, we killing it. Yeah. Every one of these words is the perfect word. <laughs> yeah. Nothing out of place. Yeah. And that's why it's always so weird to go back over, especially closely, because it's like he meant everything to be in there. And there's a lot of weird stuff in there that's just like in passing. <laughs> yes. And we, yeah, there's some stuff that needs to be discussed. Yeah, that is <laughs> some stuff is in there. That's for sure. Uh, small little things. I, I, yeah, this book to me is like, um, I, yeah, on the detail level, it's perfect. On the like, on the level of the phrase, it blew me away. Like, I re- I read it in high school, I think, um, but then I read it. I was in Chicago and I read it like legitimately for the f- like. I felt like the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I listened to it in audio. I was an audio book on a road trip. I listened to it and I like kept trying to pause it and like memorize phrases like within yeah, and without. Um, like yeah, I was simultaneously within and without. Enchanted and repulsed by the infinite variety of life. Inexhaustible variety variety of life. life. Can't be exhausted. That blew. I was like, oh, that's the way I've felt my entire life, and it's it's nice to see it written down. He really got away (laughs) with it, though, because like, in no point in modern fiction can you have, because it's a first-person narrator. So this is just like how this nerd's supposed to be talking. (laughs) (laughs) If one of my friends said that sentence to me, I'd be like, get out of here! What are you talking about? That's the only part that I think is it's almost too precious is that like as a first person narration, like that's not how anyone talks. Only like a very intelligent person talks like that. Oh, of course. It doesn't feel yeah, it doesn't feel personal. Um yeah. And they say he's an unreliable narrator, right? He's not uh Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Because uh, he is he basically says like I Though I loved being in the war, and I when I went back to the Midwest, I was so restless. It's like, oh, this guy has PTSD. Yeah, <laughs> restless. Yeah, that's what we call <laughs> restless. it. Restless. Yeah. <laughs> restless, eh? I keep flashing back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's such a. It starts all weird. We just found this out just now. Minutes ago, yes. Because we went over that opening quote, and I don't know if uh, the epigram of the Great Gatsby is as follows. <clears throat> Then wear the gold hat, if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her too. Till she cry, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must have you. Thomas Park D'Invilliers. So already, so we start out, that, that's a weird quote. Yes, that's weird. Uh, just like, oh, like, who, like, just the phrase, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must have you. <laughs> I must have you. It's very like, silly. What fever dream joke is <laughs> is this sentence from? And then we looked it up. So yeah, my assumption was let's talk about what we thought like cuz like I thought it was from some weird uh some weird poem from some like dandy some, like, Brit. Some TS Eliot offshoot yeah, guy. Yeah, some like guy who's like painting these uh, absurd wor- you know worlds and he says like, "Oh, this is kind of what I'm doing with Gatsby. This is kind of Gatsby is kind of this gold hat guy. It's not exactly it but it's kind of inspiring to me in terms of how silly it is to try and like get women through nice things i guess guess, right like the idea of like oh it would be it would be silly to put on a gold hat and bounce high because like what is she gonna say like i love your bouncing and gold hat it's like yeah so we were like oh that's like weird and kind of related to the gatsby (laughs) i wonder who this this thomas park danvers guy is who is he uh looked him up he is uh a character in some other he's he's he's, he's it's on this F. side F. of paradise yeah a character in his autobiographical first novel this side of paradise and 
It's just a pen name for F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's F. Scott Fitzgerald. He quoted himself in his own beginning of the book. <laughs> the absolute gall, for lack of a better word, the gall. So he was that. calling his shots from the get-go. <laughs> he was like, guys, I wrote a masterpiece, and I don't want to anyone else to be a part of this. There's a Kanye lyric where he goes, I was rapping on beats I was supposed to buy. I was, I was getting high on my own supply. And this is clearly... Yes, Gerald. He is quietly the Kanye of modernist literature. You know what? Let's yeah, let's let's explore that because it's <laughs> obviously he was uh, really got he got really big, really young, yeah, and got crazy like crazy. right away. <laughs> he's crazy, but undeniably talented. So we can't, you know what I mean? What are we gonna do? But Married he's crazy. a controversial woman. Interesting controversial marriage. Uh, lost, except maybe he's maybe he's the Kim Kardashian of this because he's ooh. Uh, maybe no, he's not. Is Zelda Kim Kardashian? No, I think maybe Zelda's Kanye. T- maybe they're both Kanye. They're it's, both Kanye. It's two Kanyes marrying each other. We're all Kanye. <laughs> we all exist in a cosmological Kanye. Yes. Awake to your inner Kanye. Yeah, it's definitely a, a big ego guy who got you could basically have made a bunch of money. From writing his first novel, which is never good for the humility of a young man. Yeah, yeah which also is so funny because that's not a thing anymore. Like a hotshot new novelist who's all rich. Yeah. <laughs> like Cat Person is the first time I've thrown, like a famous writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cat Person, the story in the New Yorker that blew up on Facebook. Um, that's the that's the best that, in that's the what, last what 10 years. That's what Scott Fitzgerald did, but in for the 20s. <laughs> yeah, but with money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they give you money for it. Yeah, so he. Uh, that's what all, that, I love that story about him. That like weird audit. Like, so he was dating Zelda when he was in training camp in Alabama. Okay. For World War One, uh, she broke up with him. He was madly in love with her. Aww. She broke up with him and was like, "You're never gonna make any money. Uh, I can't be with you." And then he writes this that he goes to New York and then goes back home. Like he's lost everything. Live uh, with mom. Writes this side of paradise and now is a famous millionaire <laughs> and then he's like zelda comes back to him oh that's weird it doesn't sound like anybody i know i didn't know that at all that's crazy that's you know that's, that's Gatsby. like from a perspective of just like a guy getting everything he wants back <laughs> yeah man what a what a home run that is yeah where's the lesson there yeah uh and now i now i love you zelda who this is dedicated to once again to zelda i assume probably other other things that i been think dedicated that to zelda but also Gerald. like it all sounds like, depending on the tone, like I was reading, like once again <laughs> to Zelda. <laughs> I guess I technically owe my wife some basic affection. I'll throw you a bone, baby. Yeah. Basic affection. Here's a freaking epigram, baby. All right. So now we're gonna go line by line for that first uh, part of the chapter. The probably the second most famous passage besides the ending, which uh, yeah. everyone freaks out about. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Don't spoil that now. Yeah. Uh, so it goes, In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that have been turning over in my mind ever since. And, like, that's, like, a very nice line. But also, like, my dad has never said anything that <laughs> I had to think <laughs> about every day <laughs> since he told me it. <laughs> Different dads. Yeah. We have, yeah. I also don't have a dad who <laughs> who's like that. Yeah. And then he says, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. And that's a nice sentiment, but yes. also not so complex that you have to think about it every day. No, you're rich, son. You're rich. Uh, not everyone is rich. You are. <laughs> yes. He, uh, he didn't say any more, but we've always been unusually communicative in a reserved way. And I understood that he meant a great deal more than that. 
In consequence, I'm inclined to reserve all judgments, a habit that has opened up many curious natures to me and also made me the victim of not a few veteran bores. A few veteran bores. (laughs) Yeah, what a... (laughs) This whole, like, it's all very well-written, but it's definitely... I don't think I would like Nick Carraway if I met him. <laughs> He's like, I am so judgment-free, <laughs> Yeah, and everyone's boring to me. Nick Carraway is the quiet guy at the party who's tweeting about it. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely. And he's like, oh, look at these veteran bores. <laughs> like millennials are never going to make it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The abnormal mind is quick to detect and attach itself to this quality when it appears in a normal person. And so it came about that in college, I was unjustly accused of being a politician because I was privy to the secret griefs of wild, unknown men. First, two things about this sentence. <laughs> One is great. Every sentence is great. Uh, but he's so confident to assert, I have a normal mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's always That really struck me, reading this again, was like, oh, and when it appears in a normal mind, like me, Mr. Normal. <laughs> yeah, a normal guy who doesn't judge. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Normal. The normal perfect man, free of judgment and no any problems whatsoever. Also rich. <laughs> How was the war? It was fine. Anyway. Yes. Uh, also, two... The quality of politicians is not to be privy to the secret, secret griefs of, of wild, wild, unknown, unknown men. <laughs> I've never thought that of any politician. <laughs> I'm like, Ted Cruz really knows the secret griefs of wild, unknown men. <laughs> Ted Cruz is a wild, unknown yeah, man. Yeah, Ted That's Cruz knows problem. his own secret griefs <laughs> beats them down. <laughs> uh, he makes them all our problem. Then there's this sentence, which is a lot of fun. Most of the confidences were unsought. Frequently, I have feigned sleep, preoccupation, or a hostile levity when I realized by some unmistakable sign that an intimate revelation was quivering on the horizon. For the What's inti- a hostile levity, Kevin? Uh, I would say that's like kind of being witty in a mean way. Ah, uh, that's pretty good. I thought it was like, uh, <laughs> hey, you big jerk, let's have a good time. Yeah, hostile, a little bit levity. of that of like, kind of like, keep let's keep things light. Uh, <laughs> but definitely also like, this is still mean. <laughs> like, yeah. This, these like losers are coming to you like hoping to get some sort of release. <laughs> and I put up with it. And sometimes I pretend to be asleep. Oh, I'm such a kind man that everyone <laughs> bothers me with their stuff. You know what's hard about being great is the other people who aren't. If someone wrote any of this on Facebook, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd screenshot it and send it to all my friends. <laughs> And be like, look at this turd. <laughs> Who do you think you are? This does come off like a Facebook, like a like a weird, humble, braggy Facebook status. Yeah, where like, it's like, how was my 2017? Well, in my younger and more vulnerable years, my father <laughs> gave me some <laughs> advice that I've been turning over my mind ever since. Continue reading. <laughs> yeah. Read more. <laughs> no, thank uh, you. And then the second part of that sentence, uh, for the intimate revelations of young men or at least the terms in which they express them are usually plagiaristic and marred by obvious oppressions i like that like like you're saying like a high school kid like or like you know like if you're in college and you someone asks you how you are and then you use like you plagiarize you use like you know yeah like lyrics or something and that's like a good point about how men express themselves is that they are like they run out of actually emotions and just have to use whatever they saw on tv (laughs) and music but also, that's such a catty thing to say. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. this man's spilling his heart out. Oh, he's obviously marred by suppressions. <laughs> it's like the kid who take one psychology class. <laughs> and it's like, oh, look at you. You have an Oedipal complex, don't you? <laughs> oh, re- suppressed anger? It's like, yeah, everyone's got suppressed anger. Yeah. Reserving judgments is a matter of infinite hope. 
So beautiful. Beautiful sentence. That's I mean, a great sentence. I'm like the good cop. I'll be the good <laughs> I'll be the good cop. That was beautiful. And Kevin's like, that's come on. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I like all of this. Yes. Uh, but it is silly when you look close at it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh I am still a little afraid of missing something if I forget that, as my father snobbishly suggested, and I snobbishly repeat, a sense of the fundamental decencies is parceled out unequally at birth. That's like a nice way to put a kind of a mean thought, but a tough truth. <laughs> Is that yeah. some people are just naturally better than others. Yeah, some people are naturally better than others. But it's weird because he was saying, like, he's saying that, like, uh, not everyone's had the same advantages you have. Um, and he, I, I, like, this is obviously classist a little bit, right? Yes. Well, that's what's the weird part about this book is that it's both, it's mean about rich people. But it also, there's not a lot of poor people in it. So it doesn't, like, love poor people. No, no. There's there's servants. I guess they're poor. Yeah, but uh, I don't think any one of them really talks. They just <laughs> abandon at the end. More on the butler's nose later. Yes, that part is very funny to me. Um, let's see here. And after boasting this way of my tolerance, <laughs> which wasn't that <laughs> tolerant, <laughs> I come to the admission that it has a limit. Con- conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I came back from the East last autumn, I felt that I wanted the world to be in uniform, and that is sort of moral attention forever. So here's another war thing. So he really hasn't gotten over the war. I wanted no more riotous excursions with privileged glimpses into the human heart. That's a great sentence, but like, no one talks like that. With, with privileged glimpses into the human How heart. How is these? Ah, oh, too many riotous excursions with privilege. Also, it's a privilege now? It's a privilege, this thing that's been put upon you at parties yeah, and whatnot? That's a weird turn of the cheek. Yeah. Uh, um, only Gatsby. The man who gives his name to this book was exempt from my reaction. Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. If personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him. Some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. That's just a great sentence. Yes, it is. (laughs) This responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impressionability, which is dignified under the name of the creative temperament. And that's just F. Scott Fitzgerald taking a shot at other writers. Yeah. <laughs> flabby <laughs> impressionability. Y'all got some flabby impressionability, if you ask me. <laughs> it was an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I have never found in any other person, and which it is not likely I shall ever find again. No, Gatsby turned out all right at the end. Uh, no, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote this. I don't know why you don't know that. <laughs> I'll send you the spark notes. Uh, check it out. It is what preyed on Gatsby, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sours, sorrows and short-winded elations of men. J- like, just that, abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. It's like a great... He little. puts words together uh, that they've... they've, they've they, he's like, oh, those words belong together than they always have. What is, what's, 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 what's he, what are we been waiting for? Okay, but wait. Gatsby represents everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. So, like... Rich people? So, yeah, he's he's saying that he hates rich people and the East and sort of this obsession with status in order to get what you want. Uh, but within that context, Gatsby was the best that he met, probably because like, it's a pro-new money perspective and also like oh, yeah. more it's more anti-old money because uh, yeah. he was new money. I think it's what it is. He just hates Nick Carraway's new money. Uh, well, Nick Carraway's old money. Nick Carraway's old Scott money. But Fitzgerald was new money. 
Right. Because he grew up middle. I actually went to St. Paul and I touched his doorknob where he grew up. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm nerd. A, yeah. yeah, I'm a big nerd. Touched yeah. the doorknob, shed one single yeah. tear. We went up there with uh, I went up there with my girlfriend and we and the house is still there. There's a plaque in front of it. That oh, says, cool. Like, this is where F. Scott Fitzgerald grew up. You can buy it. And that poor person that's just sitting it's there just living like in room an apartment. nerd it's just after like nerd. In this very nice neighborhood. It's just like the apartment buildings in this nice neighborhood. And I was like, I was I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And my girlfriend was like, why don't you go touch the doorknob or something? Good, good, yeah. <laughs> so that it fit like technically we've touched the same doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm making fun of this, but I am like a cult fan. Oh, yeah, this guy is... <laughs> It's because I love it so much that I'm going to... There's drool all over that book. Yes. Uh, let's see here. And then it goes to the part where he describes his... Well-to-do prominence. His, yeah. yeah. I think an important part is that... One thing is the Caraways are something of a clan. We have a tradition that we're descended from the Dukes of Bukalek. So, like, lying about where you're from is a big part of this. Classic old money. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and, like... They always joke that we're royalty, but it's really just hardworking people in the Midwest that made some money a hundred years ago, and now they just own a nice. They basically own the. Basically, he says like we owned Home Depot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They own a, own a hardware store, and they yeah, that's when. And they made a lot important. of money off of it. Yeah, but okay. yeah, lying about being a part of like some sort of older, more established social hierarchy that like you know somehow gives credence to the you know to yes. what you are. Very status obsessed book, even from this supposedly like infinitely wise non-judgmental narrator yeah um so yeah and then the part that we've been talking about a little bit uh so i participated in that delayed teutonic migration known as the great war i enjoyed the counter raid so thoroughly that i came back restless instead of being the warm center of the world the middle west now seemed like the ragged edge of the universe so he has PTSD from World War One. Yeah. <laughs> no one comes home and after war and is like restless and like, oh, I gotta get out of it. Like he's a little restless. Like he clearly, most of his involvement in all this drama is probably because he wants to be there because he misses the war. He misses some. Yeah, he, wa- he misses a large scale conflict and he <laughs> needs to see it go down. Yes. Uh, okay. And then he's just like, I'm gonna be a bond. It's all very. His part is actually kind of tedious. It's like, hey, I'm a bond salesman. <laughs> oh my god, of course. Yeah, right. From some from like from poor Jordan Baker's perspective, this book is like, yeah, I went to some amazing parties and sometimes this bondsman was there. <laughs> this bond <laughs> this struggling new bond salesman. Yeah. You got drunk twice and uh <laughs> me, uh, one of the most famous women in the country, yeah. <laughs> dated the bond salesman who is the second cousin of a friend. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a murder, uh, but also this bondsman was kind of rude to me at points. Yes. Um, so there's a part we talked about. The, he goes, I had a dog. At least I had him for a few days until he ran away. Can we talk about the dog for a second? I had a dog. So he talked about he's talking, he's talking about the circumstances of his of his living. He's quarters. moving to Long Island. Yeah, he do, he wants to live in the country. So him and this guy. So it wasn't even his idea that this guy suggested that you know they share a house on the country, quote unquote, in Long Island. And then he drops out, uh, and so instead he moves there with his dog. I had a dog. At least I had him for a few days until he ran away. We never hear about this dog running away. So he's like not a responsible guy either. <laughs> oh, he is bad to dogs. Like that's obvious, right? Like there's no chapter about him putting up like posters or calling out to his dog. Dog doesn't get a name. Does he name the dog? Does he miss the dog? And then also this 
He moved away with he moved there with a dog and an old Dodge and a Finnish woman. <laughs> the third on the list after a car and an animal is this person from Finland. That's such a weird. She never makes again an appearance. He has apparently a small house. <laughs> So there's this woman walking around it the whole time, and she's never brought up. <laughs> He's just hung over, musing, eating her food that he made her, and shoes her away. And it's such like, and like, oh, by the way, there's this Finnish woman. Yeah. We all know we have servants, and they're from Finland. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like at a desk in a refrigerator. It's the same tone. It's like I had these appliances. Um, yeah. My God. But okay, so my theory about the dog thing is, I had a dog, an old Dodge, and a fin- I feel like I feel like you're you're Fitzgerald. You're writing this first chapter, and you're like, maybe there'll be a dog. I have a dog, an old Dodge, and a Finnish woman, and then you know uh, he writes the first draft, comes back for the second draft. He's like, oh yeah, the dog thing. Dog ran away. Dog <laughs> yeah, ran away. I don't want to trace the dog. <laughs> Because now he's got to take care of this dog. And what <laughs> he should be doing is walking around, judging people. <laughs> I'm sad we missed out on a, a great story about a dog. Uh, that's my point. What kind of dog? I hope it was big. Good I, old dog. I think it would be a big dog. They didn't really have small dogs, especially for a single man. That's another thing is that I have a suspicion that he might be like... Just from like the queer theory perspective, he might be a bisexual man. Oh yeah, wasn't there like a yeah? Well, there's like a, at the party. I've, I've heard some tell about this at the party they go to in New York. There's like a weird ellipses that uh, we'll re- we'll have to re- we'll have to remember to check in on that. Yes, that's uh, that's something I want to keep track of. Hey Nick Caraway, you but gay? Also, yeah, he's, yeah, he's gonna move into this house with this guy in the in Long Island on sure. the cabin. <laughs> okay. Like, oh, this guy, I don't know, but we're going to get a house and a Finnish woman yeah, together. Finnish woman, hey. See what um, happens. And then there's just kind of boring stuff about some really beautiful writing, but boring stuff about this is who I am, this is what I'm doing with my summer. Here's the eggs, yeah. Yeah, I'm a bond salesman. I'm reading a lot about it. Um, here's the West Egg. It's uh, two eggs. One's old money, one's new money. Very That makes it very easy to delineate. The, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good... Right, it's like if you're, yeah, as Fitzgerald, it's like it's like here's a, here's some clean cut symbology for you. They're separated by a gap. They're exactly the same, but they're very very different. Yes, it's like really great metaphor making of like, all yeah. right, here we go. Everything on this island is the old rich. Everything here is the new rich. Yeah, and like, look, it's also eggs. Why is that? And you, <laughs> so everything is there is details that you can piece together. But basically, it's like, hey, old new. It's also eggs. Why is that? Why it's eggs? Is there a metaphor there? We have to crack a few eggs to make this uh, omelet. Yeah. Are we gonna hatch into a big bird? Egg, the source of new life. New life. Actually, okay, great. That's actually pretty good. I was gonna ask you what you actually meant by what eggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, All scrambled up. So then he says, like, I live next to Gatsby, and that's really the only other important detail. Everything else is just like pretty writing about. Long Island. And then we head over to Tom and Daisy's lovely house. East Egg. Yeah. East Egg place. Right? Yeah, I think um are they Shoot, which sorry. one's West Egg and which one's East Egg? I think he is He lived at West Egg, so she lives, she lives at East Egg. She lives yeah. at East Egg. East Egg's the nice one. Yeah, so if you're if you're if you're crossing between them, you're crossing from old money to new money. He's gonna receive the old money, Tom and Daisy. Daisy's his cousin. Yeah. Daisy's his cousin, second cousin, once removed. Okay. Which is such a thin connection. That, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who cares? 
It's like the person your parents tell you, like, get in touch with your cousin while you're down there. And you're like, yeah, for sure. I'll text oh, him. How many cousins are vaguely involved in the oh, show business? I'm like, oh, it's my cousin's brother's friend. <laughs> um, Meet with see. him. Let's see. So I like the uh, description. I like, I mean, like, Tom is very well portrayed. and I think he's, I think he's hilarious. I think he's a hilarious. Tom is like the Gavin McInnes proud boy. Like, <laughs> he's basically one of those, like, old dads that gets really really conservative <laughs> yeah oh my god he's just he's so yeah he's so dad he's so <laughs> the herbro the, the original he he would be complaining jock. about snowflakes if he there <laughs> is absolutely no way that tom buchanan would not be complaining about snowflakes he'd be yeah, he is. He is built for the all the problems of. He'd today. be upset about the the wussification of America. That stuff, yeah. like the. <laughs> Literally, the book he read is now the book he talks about later. Is like, oh, that's the thing that the alt right complains oh, about. Back in vogue now. Good yeah. God, yeah. So he the, he described. So like, okay, he's he, Tom Buchanan's an athlete. I love the description of. He had an uh, an acute limited excellence at twenty one that everything afterward savors of anticlimax. <laughs> So if you're looking for a guy like this, go to Wrigleyville in Chicago and just hang around. Maybe around uh, one of the big event, you know, a baseball any, game. Or any Big Ten bars where there's a bowl game going on. Good lord, yeah, you can just pick any guy, and yeah, it's, that's Tom Buchanan. Yeah. Also, it's fun that he lived in Lake Forest because it's like, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> really, where's Lake Forest? Uh, so he, but now he left Chicago and come east in a fashion that rather took your breath away. For instance, he brought down a string of polo ponies from Lake Forest. Is that from? Is that around here? I'm yeah. not from Chicago. Oh, you're not from Chicago? No. Oh, I thought you were. No. Uh, that's yeah. That's just like ten miles north. I think that's where. It's like a suburb. I think that's where Mr. T lives. Oh, gotcha. So, and also all these polo ponies. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, it's a very fancy suburb. <laughs> Come visit my ponies. All right, and then it describes their house, and it's great descriptive writing. It's big. It's a big fancy old house. So I like that Tom. Tom likes Nick Carraway. Yes. Isn't that weird to you? I think it's one of those things where it's kind of being set up of like men like this have to have pe- people. Yeah. They don't want friends, but they want people that they w- would like to admire them. Yeah, right. Where yeah. He's like, oh, Nick Carraway seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. If he admires me, then I know I'm great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be friends with you. I don't respect you, but I want you to look up to me. Yeah, there's that parental tone he takes with everybody. Yeah, that contempt. Um, yeah, and that's a really funny line. Parental where contempt, They yeah. talked to him about uh, where he's like, there was a touch of paternal contempt in it, even toward people he liked, and there were men at New Haven who hated his guts. Now, I don't think my opinion on these matters is final, he seemed to say, just, cause, just because I'm stronger and more of a man than you are. <laughs> Again, it's like, yeah, that these men exist, uh, you know, almost 100 years later. Uh, and here yeah. we are with these same men. Yeah. Tom is set up as such a, a dumb butthead <laughs> <laughs> that he's so knowable of a character. Me and Kevin are both uh, very strong and in great shape. Yeah. So we're not so saying know. this that we hate strong people because no. we are strong people. No. Our arms are very big. We can lift yeah. things very high. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Yeah. He just kind of shows it around his house. And it's all nice writing. I um, love the okay. So again with the Tom and Nick thing. Um, so I'm a Bond man. Nick says, and Tom goes, "Who with?" I told him, "Never heard of them." He remarked dis- decisively. This annoyed me. I love where so like Nick doesn't even get lines. Nick just goes, "I told him," and then he goes, "This annoyed me." So obviously Nick isn't expressing yes that uh, it annoyed him. He says, "Oh, you will know them. You will if you stay in the East." 
Uh, so yeah. you see, Nick is Nick is playing into this di- this this relationship, this dichotomous parental yes little boy relationship. He's also very Midwestern, where Nick is like, <clears throat> I'm not ever gonna be unpleasant in a deep way. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. I will never explode with any like he only ex- like ever says anything harsh at the end when he yells right. like you're worth the whole group is rotten or whatever yeah. like. For the rest of the time, he's like, I'm very Midwest. Like, he's marred by suppressions, just like oh, everyone else. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're marred by the most suppressions, Nick. All right. Um, but, Katie. yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, he's also, like, very... Nick is, like, kind of funny throughout this whole thing. Um, yeah, no, yeah. speaking out loud, yeah, in the conversations with the with the girls, he's very funny. He is right. He definitely is a flirt. Uh, yeah. With his cousin, but... Um, Second cousin in the so, 20s. Yeah. <laughs> That is true. I mean, come on, yeah. The Roosevelts married each other. Yeah, <laughs> and they had the same last. It wasn't even like hiding anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So he's flirting with the ladies. We we meet Jordan Baker. We meet Daisy. And the one thing that's really stressed about Daisy, and it's always very. I wonder why, because it's so, like, the, S. Scott Fitzgerald loves writing about Daisy's voice. Like that's his big. It's the way mentioned, it sounds. Mentioned so many times. And I don't know if it's because. Like, it's so hard to write about sounds in books, but he writes, like, I looked back at my cousin who began to ask me questions in her low, thrilling voice. It was the kind of voice that the ear follows up and down as of each speech is an arrangement of notes that will never be played again. Her face was sad and lovely with bright things in it, bright eyes and a bright, passionate mouth. But there was an excitement in her voice that men who had cared for her found difficult to forget. A singing compulsion, a whispered listen, a promise that she had done gay, exciting things just a while since, and that there were gay, exciting things hovering around <laughs> So that's yeah. a whole paragraph on this cousin's voice. The tenor of her voice. But like I mean, like you're obviously seeing like the res the, the fact that it resonates, no pun intended, with like her personality and the way and her character. Like she's gonna be this sort of like uh exciting force of the novel. Like, let's do this, let's do that. Let's and she is kinda like that. Let's do this, yes. let's do that. And I think it's definitely also like <clears throat> there's parts where she stops talking and everyone like the spell breaks. Like there's yes. voices are used to like when she's talking, everyone's like, oh, she's lovely, how she talks. But, like, really, it's only on the surface that once she stops talking, everyone's like, oh, that was kind of nonsense. There is some really poignant silences from Daisy in this novel that we're going to see. And that's mm-hmm. a really good uh, – I love that. That's a really good point. But it's also – this is a funny line right here. It's like, I told her how I'd stopped off in Chicago for a day on my way east and how a dozen people had sent their love through me. Do they miss me, she cried ecstatically. The whole town is desolate. All the cars have the left rear – we left rear wheel painted black as a morning wreath, and there's a persistent wail all night along the North Shore. How gorgeous. Let's go back, Tom, tomorrow. Then she had a rail roll, and you got to see the baby. And he says, I'd like to. So many things is like he has like one word, two word, three like word. To. Just very Midwestern, like, yes, of course. I'd like to. Right, right. And he's thinking in paragraphs. Yeah, he's speaking in phrases. But he's so good at being <coughs> sarcastic throughout all of this. Yeah, I like that. Right, like, uh, yeah. Um, like, oh, yeah, the whole town is in grieving. <laughs> yeah, in detailed thing, yeah. Uh, let's see. So she wants to plan. So, okay, let's talk. Okay. The rise. So Tom brings up basically out of nowhere. Yes. So the conversation. So Nick is like, hey, like, we're talking about stuff that I'm not too familiar with. Jokingly, like, let's talk about crops. And then and Tom goes in, or we could talk about black people. <laughs> <laughs> or I read this book about which race was best. It's uh, like, I read this book by Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> the rise of the colored empires. Okay, so obviously the modern day equivalent is just a, is a podcast, right? <laughs> He's yeah. listening. I've been listening to this podcast. It's this pretty, is a, also I re- looked it up. This is like a real book. Uh, no way. And I think like Fitzgerald Ford being like a rich guy and also like a white man from the twenties was pretty progressive. Like okay. even in this, he calls like. He calls racism stale ideas in the 1920s. Yes, I know. Stale ideas. I love it. Yeah. The uh, rise of the colored empires. But he was pretty socialistic and uh, anti-racist for his time. Uh, but, yeah, so this is like a real book that he was purposely was going to show, like, look at what this idiot believes. Only an idiot like this would read this book. Right, right. So, right, this is very progressive for 100 years ago. Right, so Tom is like, is like a fool with stale yeah. ideas for um, because, like, so he, Tom is worried about the other races um, sort of knocking down the dominant race. Yeah. And it's such a, like, this is the first chapter, so presumably how... Just like the structure of novels work, like you really set up everything in yeah. the first chapter. Yeah, this is and this is a huge section on racism. <laughs> yeah. So like this is obviously clearly very much in the forefront of his mind that this had to be set up right away. It's important. Yeah. Tom Buchanan is one of these racists you hear about. Yes. Um, how about the Daisy thing? Let's talk about that. So the I- so here's a quote. The idea is that we're Nordics. I am and you are and you are and after an infinitesimal hesitation, he included Daisy with a slight nod, and she winked at me again. <laughs> and we produced all the things that make civilization. So, so we were talking about this before, um, and it's mentioned a little bit later in the chapter too, like some hesitation about Daisy's race. Uh, it might be that Daisy has some sort of uh, non-white blood in her. It seems like that. And also maybe Nick does too, because he also lies about the whole family lies about being this duke. Oh yeah. So yeah. maybe that I thought I saw that as connected as cousins that they both have this like great great grandfather that like started this business, but like maybe he wasn't. Uh, so they lie about him yeah. because maybe he wasn't a hundred percent white. Yeah. But it seems like she must have some sort of nothing, not a hundred percent white about him. That like Tom is like so reluctantly like trying to like get at or get over yeah i love that she winks though i love like daisy i love daisy's whole attitude this first chapter two is like a great daisy chapter like yeah she she really shines in this she does she's dismissive of tom but like in this playful way of like what are you gonna do like my husband's so racist (laughs) (laughs) my adulterous husband sure is racist um but yeah she seems it seems like it's an open secret that she's got some sort of yeah, she's something not exactly happened. white. Maybe she had a non-white <coughs> boyfriend or something at some point. Sure, any yeah, any of that stuff would qualify her for this. Because I don't know, because it's because he th- we talked about this. Like he doesn't add stuff that's not important, and it's it's and after an infinitesimal hesitation, he included Daisy with a slight nod. That's like fourteen words. Exactly. Oh no, that's a that's this is important. Yeah, I mean, like right. So we're going back to that thing where it's like, listen, high schooler, this is important. It's if it's in there, he thought about it a lot. And and I think maybe that's that. And she winked at me again. That Nick also knows. Like I think that's there's some family connection where the somewhere wink. in their family is like, hey, we have someone who was not hundred percent. Yeah, I like them. that theory, but yeah, it makes him like a little conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's just like that. It's just racist nonsense. And then this is like also a great line, like a comedy line where Nick go, uh, Daisy goes, "I'll tell you a family secret." She whispered enthusiastically, "It's about the butler's nose." Do you want to hear about the butler's nose? And then Nick goes, that's why I came over today. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, That's why I'm here. I'm dying to hear about it. I, I came all the way to East to hear about the butler's nose. <laughs> but also this story is so sad. 
Okay, and they play I, it off my, like a joke. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. I was I thought it was silly. Like so yeah. So the so the, what happens with Butler is he used to be the silver polisher for some people in New York that had a silver service for two hundred people. He had to polish it from morning until night until finally it began it began to affect his nose. Things went from bad to worse, suggested Miss Baker. Yes, things went from bad to worse until finally he had to give up his position. So like they're like laughing about this man who basically spent his life polishing the silver of the rich until it hurt him physically. (laughs) So that's the part where it's like, oh, how callous the rich are that this man had to get a new job because they being around the valuables of the rich broke him. Get me a new pauper. This one's broken. Yes. Like, so I think that's why that's thrown in there of just like, yeah, these are like cool kind of charming people, but they're also so callous about the real struggles of real people. Yeah. (laughs) Like this man knows got messed up messed yeah like he yeah seems like the chemicals and or something like that messed up with this guy's nose but like so i read this and i was like this is like a non sequitur this is like it's like have you heard about the whore, like the butler's nose and then they say basically nothing he used to have a different job and and now i, I looked i looked up like what is the significance of this because i was like is, is it a joke is it a is it, a, is it a, something i don't get and i guess it's like and why is it a secret what's the yeah. secret it's a family secret and, they, and someone said like it's like it's because you know like your butler is supposed to be like raised to have been a butler oh, that's yeah. like the best thing and so it's kind of like a little secret to like get a butler from some crappy polishing service so yeah they got their butler on the cheap yeah uh, got a used butler. But that's also funny when it's like i think i think plays into the rich decadence of like in how silly and stupid like oh don't tell anyone we got our butler on the cheap yeah and he is this man who suffered so much <laughs> And now has to serve these awful people who laugh. Imagine about. Imagine the butlers like like overhearing this polishing a glass. Like, yep, isn't it all a hilarious joke? My nose. So Tom is having an affair. So yeah, we find out Tom. This line's really funny too, because he's also like catty when he's not talking. Because uh, this is on the next page. It goes when Dizzy goes. I love to see you at my table, Nick. You remind me of of a rose, an absolute rose, doesn't he? She turned to Miss Baker for confirmation. An absolute rose. And then he says, not in to out loud, but to himself, this was untrue. <laughs> I am not even faintly like a rose. <laughs> right. She was only extemporizing, but a storing worm flowed from her as if her heart was trying to come out to you concealed in one of those breathless, thr- thrilling words. So he's just like, my cousin's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Very like charming, and she's trying to be nice, yeah. but like... Look, everyone, do not think I'm a rose. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, how about a guy like he's like making fun of metaphor? He's so good at metaphor, and he's like making fun of her stupid yeah. analogy that he's like a rose simile. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then like that, there there's hints that they're Daisy and Tom are fighting in the other room, and Miss Baker, who's just like a gossip, just wants to hear the fight. Yeah. Sh- yeah. Um, let's see here. Some woman in New York. Um, so yeah, Tom's having an affair. And then it looks like she calls again. Like the yeah, he hangs up and he comes. And then she, yeah, she gets, she gets yeah, she calls again. How obnoxious! Yeah, that's like a bad during dinner. That's a bad that's mistress. That's a bad affair protocol. <laughs> <laughs> don't call twice. You don't call twice. Uh, but yeah, so things are awkward, and there's another very catty line from uh, Nick when he goes, "I couldn't even guess what Daisy and Tom were thinking, but I doubt if even Miss Baker, who seemed to have mastered a certain hearty skepticism, was able to utterly put this fifth guest trill 
metallic urgency out of mine. To a certain temperament, the situation might have seemed intriguing. My own instinct was to telephone immediately for the police. <laughs> That's like a sex in the city line. <laughs> <laughs> telephone immediately for the police. Some people might like this, but I wanted to call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then they just kind of have a weird end. And then there's this weird monologue from Daisy. One, there's like, uh, she starts off with, That's true, she hesitated. Well, I've had a very bad time, Nick, and I'm pretty cynical about everything. And he's like, yeah, that's that's makes sense. And then he tries. This is the the lamest sentence that. Uh, yeah. He's like, I returned rather feebly to the subject of her daughter. I suppose she talks and eats and everything. <laughs> the whole <laughs> shebang. Yeah. If Eating, a 29 talking. year old man said, uh, your, does your daughter eat? I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you eat weirdo? Yeah. What's your problem, buddy? Uh, also, I do f- I do feel like that around people with kids sometimes. Like, so two, that's the one where they're walking around and everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, just a totally clueless guy. Yeah, just, just like idiot bachelor. Yeah, he's trapped in an awkward situation. Where this <laughs> cousin, to be fair, he does not know. Right. He said he saw her two times in Chicago, <laughs> and they like barely. Are, she grew up in Louisville. He grew up in Chicago. Yeah, they don't know each other. Yeah. And then she's like, "My marriage is falling apart." Yeah. Um. Right, she clearly has this thing she n- wants to get out of off her chest. Yeah, is it marred by obvious suppressions? Yes, uh, but <laughs> she's got this great paragraph. Uh, well, big, great couple paragraph. She goes, "It'll show you how far you have how we've gotten to feel about things." Well, she was she's talking about her daughter. Well, she was less than an hour old, and Tom was God knows where. I woke up out of the ether with an utterly abandoned feeling and asked the nurse right away if it was a boy or girl. She told me it was a girl, and so I turned my head away and wept. All right, I said. I'm glad it's a girl, and I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world, a beautiful little fool. One of the most famous lines from this book. Yeah. It's uh, very sad and cynical and honest about (laughs) the state of life. But also what I love is that she's also the next part. Uh, You see, I think everything's terrible anyhow, she went on in a a convinced way. Everybody thinks so. (laughs) Most advanced people. That's like, so what? (laughs) We live in the city now. It's all hipsters being like, everything's bad. Everything's terrible. And so that's what this is. It's like a New York rich hipster being like, ah, everything's bad. Everything's the worst, am I right? I work three days a week. And And yeah, (laughs) and then she says, and I know. I've been everywhere and seen everything and done everything. Her eyes flashed around her in a defiant way, rather like Tom's, and she laughed with thrilling scorn. Sophisticated. God, I'm sophisticated. (laughs) And that's such a, like, a... Like, she's making fun of herself right there, but it's still very silly. And then my favorite is, like, this part. This is, like, the final voice part where he goes, The instant her voice broke off, ceasing to compel my attention, my belief, I felt the basic insincerity of what she had said. And this is, I think, a very important sentence for the rest of the book is at the end of that paragraph she goes, I waited, and sure enough, in a moment, she looked at me with an absolute smirk on her lovely face. As if she had asserted her membership in a rather distinguished secret society to which she and Tom belong. Yeah. So she likes being miserable in this way. Yes. She takes a lot of pride in that she's part of the decadently rich who have affairs and are sad and have seen everything and don't want to live anymore. Like it's like a very it takes a lot of money to be like that. And yeah. she's so proud that she is. Yeah. And th- right. And th- she was eager to say this thing. She was excited to lament life and daughter. Right. She's morbid. She's she wanted to sound casually cynical. Like, yeah. So she could seem really cool to her cousin. Like all he- the advanced people are. Like she was like uh, he even says it made me uneasy as though the whole evening had been a trick of some sort to exact a contributed contributory emotion from me. So like, yeah, she's like. Can't you see how cool and sad and cynical I am now, Nick? Right, she's posturing. Yeah, yes. it's like 
it's not true sadness. It's like this put up, put upon. So all of this is like a very fun game to her. Yeah. Good God. Uh, so that is there's a, a basic shallowness to all. She's very complex, but like she has, she's very surface obsessed, just like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, and she definitely likes that. She likes that she had that little, that interesting thought about the girl being a beautiful little fool. Like she enjoys her own, like she enjoys her own depression. You know, like yeah. she's wallowing in it a little bit. Like yeah, she likes to be. She's like a Twitter girl. Who yeah, exactly. <laughs> says like catty things. Exactly, beautiful little. And fool. it's like kind of impressed with everything. Um, let's see. Then they leave, and they're just kind of a hint of like, hey, uh, Jordan and Nick, you guys should date. Yeah. And it's just that's kind of like a pleasant, fun moment. Dating back then essentially, you know, amounted to being in a boat together. That's um, the courtship process. They push him off in a boat. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see here. So this is the other part about whiteness. Uh, oh. So Daisy and Tom looked at so it's page nineteen on my version, yep. which yep. is that famous, uh, the normal one uh, with the with big, uh, big eye painting. Doctor Offenbecker, or whatever yeah. his name is. So it <laughs> says, uh, Daisy and Tom looked at each other for a moment in silence. Is she from New York? I asked quickly. And then Daisy goes, from Louisville. Our white girlhood was passed there together there. Our beautiful white. And then Tom cuts her off again. Interruption. So there's clearly something about Daisy's whiteness mm-hmm. that is not there. Because <laughs> 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 anytime she talks about whiteness, like... Tom gets uncomfortable. Yeah, there is there's something there. I, I have no doubt, and if you're a high schooler, you shouldn't have doubt about it either. And then she even makes fun of Tom again. Uh, so so because Tom is paranoid about being told about affairs, so he goes, "Did you give Nick a little heart to heart talk in the veranda?" demanded Tom suddenly, and she did. Yeah. Um. Did I? She looked at me. I can't seem to remember, but I think we talked about the Nordic race. Yes, I'm sure we did. It sort of crept out, up on us, and the first thing you know, and then. Tom goes, don't believe everything you hear, Nick. So, like, she, like, is making fun of Tom. So, I think she yeah. is, there's some, yeah, there's something there to, like, who, maybe she even she just disagrees or she's so wild that, like, Tom has to be embarrassed about his Well, life. it's great because she's got this power over him, like, as his wife, and she's using it exactly, you know, in the in the exact way that's going to push his buttons the most. You know, like, like, oh, your little racism comments, just, like, making light of his thing that he believes really strongly. Yes. Um, his, it's like his new – she even's like, ah, Tom reads big books now with big words. Yeah, big <laughs> words. Yeah, I love that line. Um, oh, and this part is I, also a part of my theory of maybe Nick is bisexual, but Daisy goes, I forgot to ask you something, and it's important. We heard you were engaged to a girl out west. That's right, corroborated Tom kindly. We heard that you were engaged. And then t- uh, Nick goes, it's a libel. I'm too poor. And it's like, but we heard it, insisted Daisy, surprising me by opening up again in a flower-like way. We heard it from three people, so it must be true. <laughs> of course I knew what they were referring to, but I wasn't even vaguely engaged. The fact that Gossip had published the bands was one of the reasons I had come east. You can't stop going with an old friend on account of rumors. And on the other hand, I had no intention of being rumored into marriage. So the rumors you're suggesting... So it, that he's like running away from like so it sounds like he was he has this f- close female friend that he doesn't want to marry, uh, but the newspaper is like, hey, they're married, and he's like, I got to get out of here because I because I know like my Midwestern will make me have to marry this girl. But I like, think he was like sort of dating her though. That's my interpretation. Okay, and I'll so like had published the bands bands. I looked up bands as like when you announce yeah. your intention to wed. Yeah, yeah. so like. Like I guess I don't know. So whether that so happens or not, so it sounds like not. some like 
newspaper was like, they're going to get married. And, right. And he's like, oh, no. No, no way. I <laughs> can't do that. There's rumors. So, yeah, I had no intention of being rumored into marriage. So, like, the rumors are of, hi- are of him marrying like he's gonna marry this girl and he's like oh no i have to marry this girl unless i do something drastic right i mean he's not interested in this girl cut to moving to new york yeah so he moves to new york who amongst us does not move across the country to get out of marriage (laughs) uh their interests uh rather touched me and made them less remotely rich um so yeah he drives away um this is a really good burn on tom uh so he goes, it seemed to me that the thing for Daisy to do was to rush out of the house, child in arms. But apparently there was no such intentions in her head. As for Tom, the fact that he, that he, in quotations, had some woman in New York, in quotations, was really less surprising than that he had been depressed by a book. <laughs> I know. It's like a, it's like a classic Rose joke. It's, yeah. like, it's like, what's more surprising than the fact that Tom... <laughs> oh, I believe Tom that had an affair. I don't really think that he's sad because he read a book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then this is like a really just like good sense about something was making him nibble at the edge of stale ideas as if his sturdy physical egotism no longer nourished his peremptory heart. God, I underline sturdy physical egotism like the phrase, the phrases in this book are incredible. So like he stops like being just being physically dominant wasn't enough. And now he's like, oh, I need to have like sort of a politics of my own personal dominance over others. And again, even Fitzgerald says here that like, he's nibbling at the edge of stale ideas. So he's not even like he's not even like doing a good job at like yeah. understanding what this racist is saying. He's yeah. just like, ah, I'll, I got you. White people good, black people bad. Got it. Yeah. And then there's the first <laughs> time you meet Gatsby, and it's a weird moment. Yeah, uh, he's spying on Gatsby essentially. Yeah, he sees Gatsby standing at his dock. Uh. Looking that's towards the bay, it's something that's probably not that important. It's this green light. I don't know. But also, yeah, he goes, but I didn't call to him, for he gave a sudden intimation that he was content to be alone. And then Gatsby, he, so he stretched out his arms toward the dark water in a curious way, and far as I was from him, I could have sworn he was trembling. Uh, in, involuntarily, I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except a single green light, minute and far away. It might have been the end of a dock. When I looked once more for Gatsby, he had vanished, and I was alone again in the unquiet darkness. So, like, one, the green light, high school kids. Yes, that is symbolism. Wake up. Yeah. <laughs> it's very important that it's a green light. That's that's just the basic. <laughs> that's every, every teacher's example of symbolism. But, two, it's weird that – so you're in your yard, and then your neighbor comes out alone and reaches a trembling hand at a green light. <laughs> yeah, boy. Like – trembling so he's close enough to see that he's tre- you can see that he's trembling from however close he is and you can feel he doesn't want to be with him yeah so this like, is a real no, no one's that transparent about their desire <laughs> yeah i know i know like this whole book would be a lot simpler if there was facebook <laughs> <laughs> like Gats- it would just be gatsby like looking at old photos of daisy <laughs> <laughs> like he'd know right away she was engaged and he'd even give like a weird like he'd look. like it yeah yeah just so daisy would have to think about like he yeah, would like, he would he like it, it like two years later like <laughs> just so she had to be like oh he's thinking about me <laughs> the whole thing happens in front of computers yeah yeah th- this is terrible but like and I know you're supposed to show not tell but like 
No one is that has that intense of a desire that they're what like weird handshaking toward a green light. And, it, and and Gatsby, right? It's like I guess it's like a private moment. We don't see a lot of. I'm not, we'll track this, but like you don't see a lot of like Gatsby's like true desire. You know, like this is a really intimate thing he's seeing. Yes. Um, but it is so overt, like yeah, literally over reaching the out for a symbol, like yeah. literally reaching out and trembling in the presence of a. Of, of uh, the symbol of Daisy. Yeah. And now this is an important question. Do you think Green Light by Lord is about this symbol? I don't know the song. I will listen before the next episode. Uh, Green Light by Lord. Yeah. It was a big hit of the uh, last year. I, th- I think it is. Because the other possible thing is that it's uh, Green Light, Traffic Light, and you're going to go. There's fast. that. There's the movie Green Light. Movie like green light a movie, you know, oh. like go for it. Wow, that's you right. guys are you guys have been green lit. So there's yeah, there's approval or go, uh, but there's yeah. all, her song is about trying to get over an ex and she can't. Oh come on, yeah. I think this is. I, so I'd listen of to the course. song. I think it's about it. Oh, I know how it goes. Is it like and I've got a green light, baby, and I'll write your name. Is that how it? no? That's <laughs> that's blank space. By oh Taylor Swift. no. <laughs> oh man. Again, um, but yeah. So that's chapter one. Uh, so we unpacked a lot. Uh, we're going to be going chapter by chapter uh, for all ten chapters, and yeah. then we'll do a little conclusion stuff at the end uh, with some of our theories and our weird <laughs> obsessions. Right. So so far we got no. Yeah, I know. There's pl- there's plenty to unpack here. We got no Gats- We got no real Gatsby so far. No, we just got a trembling neighbor at, at his door. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got a lot. We got a lot of Nick Carraway, a lot of Daisy, a lot of Jordan Baker, and a lot of Tom, and they're all going to be involved. So there's like yes. a lot of introduction to those relationships. So the big facts are Tom is racist and having an affair. Yes. Uh, Jordan is a golfer, a very famous golfer, and there's a brief moment and she's done something unpleasant, but I don't remember what. Yeah, I want to. F- I I can't remember if that. I don't think it's really addressed. It's it not, is. I guess it not is important. explained. It thing. is right after the at the end. They're like, good. oh, uh, I figured out what was unpleasant about her. <laughs> oh, good. You know how everyone does when they break up. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll find out about Jordan Baker's unpleasantness later. Um. And then Daisy is sad, but likes being sad almost. Like she's like very pleased with how sophisticated and broken she is. Yes, we'll track that along along with the like obviously Tom and Daisy are very rich and are very into being rich. Yes, Gatsby's been mentioned like that. Jordan went to a party there, et cetera. Like who Gatsby is has been sort of alluded to. And da- Daisy is act excited that she heard the name, so she yes, clearly already. that excites her still. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Otherwise, it's just basically Nick getting adjusted to the East Coast yeah. so far. And that's all Chapter 1 accomplishes. But Stage is set. Line by line, a lot of goofiness going on in this book. Yeah, very fu- a lot of, lot of goofing. And uh, guess what? You're with the right guys to analyze those goofs because we're a couple goofy guys. Yeah, we're a couple goofballs who love to goof. So uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. We'll see you yeah. in the next episode for Chapter 2. See you for chapter Read two. along if you'd like. Uh, I'm Kevin. I am Terrence Hartnett. And thank you guys very much. Thank you so much.